Finally, a talk show that helps you defeat mediocre Christianity and walk in genuine friendship with God. Coach and Joe starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Coach and Joe on this Tuesday post-Labor Day. I'm here with Brian Woodard, a pastor here on staff. My son, Sam, yesterday asked me, uh, we're playing golf, and he said, what does Labor Day celebrate? And I had to pause for a second. I wasn't even sure. Yeah, my son did too. Asked me the same question. And, uh, you know, because Hallmark has gotten out of control in the past, I don't know, 10 years. There's a holiday for everything now. But yesterday I had to sit there on the golf course and I said, I think it's just to celebrate resting from work. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. It's to celebrate the U.S. labor. Did y'all uh, mm-hmm. grill out? What'd you do? Yes, we did. We had Bibi and Noel and. Um, Caleb Stone, and they all came over. We grilled out and had a big old party. What'd you cook? Let's, um, burgers and dogs. You know there's more acid reflux on Labor Day <laughs> night than any other? <laughs> I'm not surprised. It's called, it's called Zyrtec.com. Um, I, I look back over the years. I don't know what it is. I guess it's like Pablo's dog. You have to eat. You have to grill out on Labor mm-hmm. Day. Pig out. I mean, (laughs) just stuff yourself. So Brian and I have been working together for about 10 years. I love when we start a show and it's like a cat crawled in my nose. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, Wendy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Do you want a tissue? No, I'm good. Thank you. Okay. We've been working together for about 10 years. And a lot of people don't know this about you. It's quite shocking. (laughs) You are a diehard NASCAR fan. Yes, I am. I know two NASCAR people in my life, my college roommate and you. (laughs) I never would have thought it. Nope. You actually sit there and watch it. I watch it. I when watch did, Daytona and Talladega. Those are, those are my two favorites. You grew up in Michigan. Did you work on cars? Your dad worked on my cars? My dad did and taught me. He raced quarter mile just, and uh, quarter mile, he had stock car and just from the line, dropped the flag and all out. And you also watch bicycle racing. Yes, I do. Tour de France is on right now. You are a NAS- let's just take our time here. <laughs> you are a NASCAR, and what do you even call the bi- What is it called? Uh, what Tour de France? No, uh, what's the name uh, of like their tour? Uh, well, it depends. You know, you have the tour of Italy, you have the tour of Spain. You have so it's a three week long bike race and two rest days. Bicycles and cars. Mm-hmm. You used to race bikes, didn't you? I did. I rode road bike. I would be in races, but I would never race. I was one of the middle of the pack guys. I would start at the back and let everybody leave, and then I felt good just picking them off you, as I went. You never, ever, ever see a fat guy riding a bike for over 50 <laughs> miles. Uh, I did. I have before, and I had one before me, and this was humbling. And he would pass me going down the hill, and then I'd pass him climbing. A, and then a, fat, a fat guy? Me. Yes. <laughs> I like what Jim Gaffigan says. He says uh, he loves the idea of riding a bicycle. <laughs> that is a, well, we've been doing a lot of these hikes and that is a serious sport because when we're driving to the hikes, we're watching these people ride their bicycles mm-hmm. up a mountain. Yep. And I just want to say, why? <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine, we were talking about Mount Mitchell earlier. Yeah. So these people ride bikes on the hardest hills. Mm-hmm. Yep. Slowly. Yesterday, they did a part of the tour, and the um, climb was seven miles. And at points, it was 12 to 14% grade. Yep. You know what I think would be scarier for me than that? Because I would never even attempt to go up. But if I started coming down a mountain, how fast are they going? 
60 miles an hour. 60. Yeah. And then slamming on brakes to get through the curb. Oh, no. that's making me. They're flint. just all tucked in, tight, Going six. flying. Have you ever done that? What's the fastest you've ever been on a bike? 40. No. Were you scared? Yes, I was scared. Did you have on a helmet? Yes, I did. Have you ever busted it hard? Uh, yes, I have. S- skin ripped off? Yes, I did. Really? Mm-hmm. Screaming? Quinn said, Dad, let's race. And uh, I cranked the pedal and the chain came off, locked up, and over I went. Over the bars. Uh, yep. BB, have you ever watched a NASCAR race? Uh, like on a movie. <laughs> if it, you ever watched, I watched uh, some movies about racing. You ever watched the Tour de France? Yes, once. I had a friend who like really loved that, and so we watched for like a day or something. Uh, before we jump into our content today, I went to University of Georgia, and they used to have a thing in the springtime called Midnight Something. And it was a real. Yes. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. What is the name of that race? My brother would remember Midnight. it. And I mean, I'm talking hundreds of competitors <laughs> yes. from all over the East Coast. Mm-hmm. They would fly. We would line the streets, and they would, they would get after it. Well, I want to jump in today. It's going to drive me crazy not knowing the name of that. It'll come to me in a second. I want to jump in today on adoption, yes. literally and spiritually. So you and Rachel have adopted two children. Yes. Gracie mm-hmm. and Gus. Yes. What year did you adopt Gracie? Oh, uh, Rachel's not here to help me. So that's, um, she was um, 17 months old and she is 12. Okay. I, I thought it was at least a decade. Yeah. And then obviously Gus was what, four years? He was three 11 years? and he is now 17. Okay. So right there in a, in a short time span, you adopted two children. What, how did all that come to be. What's the story of, how did the Holy Spirit show you to do that? Um, Rachel and I went to a Stephen Curtis uh, Chapman concert in the old downtown Memorial Auditorium in Greenville. And we have friends here in town that invited us and said, hey, come on, join us. And we had this tug because at the end, Stephen Curtis Chapman did show hope. And he would talk about uh, their adoption process. So Rachel and I, our hearts were tugged into adoption, but we said, we'll get over it. It's one of those in the moment things, tug at your heart and then you leave. And um, so we left and guess what? We never got over it. God just kept pulling, pulling, pulling at our, heart, at our hearts. So me of little faith, I said, okay, when God brings in the 30 plus thousand dollars, we'll go. And our oldest came up to me and said, dad, do you think if God wants us to do it, we should just get started? And that was my oldest, Allison. And um, I'm like, you know what? Out of the mouth of babes, you know, truth. And she was right. So we took the first step and put $100 down and put in an application. And it started our journey. What ways did the Father uh, pull on your heart? Was Was it dreams? Was it impressions? Was it conversations? It usually, I have found in adoption, it starts with your wife. And the wife is the one that the Holy Spirit just starts tugging and they feel. And Rachel would say to me, I don't feel our family's complete. I don't feel our family's complete. And I started praying into that, walking that out. And I said, you know what? You're right. You're right, Rachel. So we started walking out. Our family's not complete. Dear God, what do you want us to do about it? And he said adoption. And then he just led us to passages of Scripture that says, guess what? I'm all about adoption, and I want your family to look like mine. I've known you for 
I guess, I don't know, 10 or 12 years now and done life together and served together. And there's a correlation that I want to talk about today over the next 15 minutes that I've noticed in your spiritual journey, hmm. that there's things in literally adopting a child that you have noticed also as people that we've led over the years that have been adopted by the father. There's both worlds mimic each other. For example, at some point with Gracie and Gus, it became legal. Mm-hmm. It I don't know how it all works, but at some point, the process of bonding with your family was just beginning, but on paper, they became Woodards. Mm-hmm. Well, righteousness, in essence, is me saying yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I come into the family of God. I could go through scripture upon scripture of this. I'm now accepted. I now am adopted. And we can read a couple passages in a minute. Legally, that can be true. Mm-hmm. But what we have noticed is there can be a lot of spiritual orphanhood in a person who's actually in the kingdom. <laughs> yes. You have seen both of these worlds really mimic each other. Just because Gracie and Gus became Woodards at a certain date doesn't mean that they were as advanced in the DNA of the Woodards as they are now. Mm-hmm. Seed Time Harvest. Right. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book called Fear and Trembling. What the whole idea was, I am saved and I'm being saved. Right. So we're really getting into the process of sanctification here. Mm-hmm. With these two worlds, I'm just curious and take your time. Yeah. What are some of the similarities that you've seen from <laughs> literal adoption yeah. to spiritual adoption? Um, you know, the aspect of Ephesians chapter one, and I'll read, read that. Um, And Beth Moore has a great Bible study on this passage in Ephesians chapter 1. And it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. So I'm in the orphanage of sin. You know, Satan is the one that's over. He's over the orphanage. God sends Jesus and said, I want to adopt you into the family of God. Well, guess what? I've been raised in sin and in the orphanage of that. Well, guess what? It's yes, there is legal when I say yes to Jesus Christ, I am his son. But there's so much that I've lived in over here in the orphanage that I've got to get that out of me. And knowing like with Gracie, she was 17 months old and her parents, we don't know if it was just the mother or the mother and father, left her under a tree outside the orphanage. And that's where they found her at 17 months. She had cleft palate, cleft lip. And in that society in China, it's male dominated, but they cared enough for her to leave her there. And we have a newspaper clipping of where the police put it in the report to say this little girl was found and parents come claim her. Well, the parents don't because they're, they know that there will be punishment for that, what they did. And thank God she was in that orphanage and God walked that whole process out with us. And our daughter, Erin had a part of that, had prayed that all of our family would be together when we got the word about um, Gracie. And uh, we were watching one of the Lord of the Rings movies 
and there was snow coming down and all outside. We were all sitting there watching that. All of a sudden the phone rings, Rachel runs downstairs. She comes up crying and you won't believe it, stop the movie. We got a referral, we got a referral, we'll get a picture within 30 seconds. Come on, let's go to the computer. And so, you know, and we had 24 hours with all the medical report and all that to figure out, are you gonna say yes or no? And we said yes. And God walked us through that, um, that process. But even now with that story of adoption, Gracie has to continue to walk out. We don't keep it from her. She knows, you know, hey, my eyes look different. My face looks different than you guys. And um, she knows, but she knows she's ours. She's a Woodard. But at the same time, she's had to walk through her story from being left by a mother and father and to say, I was walking through, was I rejected? Was I loved enough that they left me there to say some, for someone else to love? And God goes, and I don't know. I mean, I can't, it blows my mind for God to say, I created you, but you were in the orphanage of sin. So I send my only son to die on the cross, buried, rose again, to adopt you and to bring you back into the family. And that sacrifice that Jesus went through, and for adoptive parents, the sacrifice that they go through to say, we want the orphanage out of you. We want that orphan mindset out of you that, you know, our son Gus, I mean, he's had a lot more history. You know, he was in an orphanage over four years and wow. remembers it well. I didn't realize it was that long. Yeah. So for him, it's with women. I mean, he said the women that were over that orphanage, he could never do anything right. Even when I tried to do something right, I would still get yelled at. And he goes, I never could do anything. So the aspect of he takes that mindset and personifies it in our home. So who is he not happy with? My wife, Rachel. Well, Rachel goes, I've never done anything wrong. I've not, I've just loved you. I've given myself for you. But that orphan mindset, because of it indwelt in him back then, he has to get freedom. That orphan has to go so he can truly become that son of Rachel and Brian Woodard. I've heard you say a couple of things that I want to talk about. One is the word process, and then uh, talk about getting the orphanhood mindset out of someone. What One of the things that I've noticed being a lead pastor for seven years is a lot of the people that I've helped counsel through their issues, they project onto me because I'm the, you know, the lead pastor of a church. And at first, I, I couldn't understand what it was all about. Then the Father began to show me that what we typically, not always, but what people typically do is they'll take their own issues and then project that onto someone who represents that person in their life. So mm-hmm. you've you've seen this um, with Gus and Rachel, which, hey, I get it. I understand. Yeah. I've seen it in my own orphanhood. Well, and see, I, and see <laughs> I, have, I have too. But here's what I want to talk about. What is the process? And just get really practical here. We're talking about the difference in righteousness and sanctification. Let me define what righteousness is versus sanctification, and then I'm going to ask you, what. how do you process someone out of that orphan mindset? So yeah. righteousness is my ability to stand in the presence of the Father without fear of shame, rejection. Okay, well, if you only focus on that and who I am in Christ, 
you're going to miss out on the idea that too, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, sanctification, I can't grow in righteousness. I can grow in sanctification, which a lot of people actually don't believe that, which is why I talk about the terms hyper grace a lot. Sanctification is me growing into the image of Jesus Christ. Well, the paradox is I'm already as clean as Jesus because who I am in Christ. But this process is where people lose the battle down here on planet Earth, I think. Yes. What are a couple of practical steps that helps someone go from spiritual orphanhood into a higher level of sonship, daughtership? An orphan, many times, they're dealing with rejection. So they're dealing with a love problem for many. Um, I would say many times for most. And they have, they're wounded in some way. So the aspect of invitation into relationship, and Heidi Baker has a good book on this. I think it's called Keep Your Love On. When she talks about orphans and the orphanages. That, that is, uh, Keep Your Love On is Danny Silk. Oh, she went one called uh, Compelled by Love. Yes. Compelled by Love. Compelled by Love. She talks about it, inviting an orphan into their home and said, you're free. Come on in. Yeah. And all of a sudden, for that kid to be able to say, you mean I can go to the refrigerator and open it and what's in there I can get? And she goes, yeah, I would stock it with Cokes. And it blows their mind that they could walk in and open a refrigerator and get a Coke for themselves. For Gus, his clothes were picked out for him every day. He didn't have toys of his own. He couldn't go into a Walmart or something and pick out and say, I want that. So when we brought him home, practical step was, how could we love him? We would give him two choices. You can wear this or this. And when we go to the store, you can choose this or this. Because it blew his mind that I can go down a cereal aisle and I have 50 choices. It just <laughs> it blew his mind. So the aspect of the mindset, I would say, with us to get the uh, orphan out is with Jesus Christ, is just to truly say that I am loved. And can I change the way I think that God loves me. You know what I think, Brian, is the biggest roadblock to what you're saying? Sea time harvest. Uh, wouldn't it just be great if Gus could have believed in one moment, one encounter, that he's loved and cherished and actually Rachel's not like what he was used to? Mm-hmm. The truth is, and I've learned this through experience, this isn't a prophetic statement, I've learned it through experience. Transformation is slow and boring, but I believe that boring always brings the breakthrough. And if we're not careful, we'll expect that we can have an encounter with God and all the orphanhood be out of us. <laughs> it's just not true. Matter of fact, I I um I know a lot of people that many of you that watch Coach and Joe, you would consider a superstar minister. You would just consider someone at just a very high level in God. I can tell you this. I have never met a significant leader in the kingdom that doesn't deal with some form of orphanhood in him or her on an ongoing basis. So what I hear you, Brian, saying is obviously it starts with receiving love from the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I'm adding to that is it's a slow dripping faucet that brings the breakthrough. Yes, I had a relapse into Lodi Bar, into orphanhood, last week for about 48 hours. 
the strongest I've ever, the strongest I can remember relapsing into orphanhood since 18 years ago when the father really just taught me about what it means to be adopted and loved and all of that. I'm just simply saying, be give yourself some grace and patience because I'm sure you've seen with both Gracie and Gus, three steps forward, a step back, yes. two forward, eight back. Yep. And that can be pretty frustrating on a parent, <laughs> yes. which make, means you have to keep your love on. BB, do we have any comments, questions you want to jump into? We don't have any questions. Tiffany at the beginning, Tiffany was one of the people that was watching last week, and she was kind of laughing because um, she and her son went, she went for a walk and her son went biking with her for the first time in a long time um, earlier this week, which was fun. Um, but that's kind of the only comment this morning. I um, what? Why do you think, Brian, over these next five minutes, let me ask this, why do you think people are afraid to process we always love, um, <laughs> I don't know, this is the first thing that came into my mind. How many of us like to get naked in front of someone else? It's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> You're like, no, you know, I want to stay covered. So to being unclothed, whether it's emotionally or the way you think or whatever, and to have that opened up, we want to keep covered. We always want those things to be... Yeah covered by other people, but God goes, no, 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 I want you, I want that to open up so I can come in and pour that in and let me cover you. Let me be the one. The fig leaves of Genesis 3, we still do it. All the time. And it's it's nothing but a facade. You know what's scary about fig leaves? If you're in a true biblical community, and I'm not saying I like this, but it's just the truth. Everyone else can see your fig leaves. Yep. Except you. Yeah. I've heard. I once heard the term. Uh, someone said, "I don't want to be the emperor with no clothes on," and I was like, "What the heck does that mean?" And then when I started chewing on, I thought, "Yeah." In other words, you might as well go ahead and choose vulnerability because it's the only pathway to wholeness in the first place, and other people can see you're hiding. Right? What do you think it is we're so scared about? Well, it depends on the person. Many times you will think, um, "What is this person going to think of me?" on the other side, if I truly tell them what I'm thinking or how I'm feeling. And so I need to cover that and put a facade up instead of truly um, speaking forth the truth. But the goodness of God is, you know, he says, before a word is spoken on your tongue, I know it completely. So you can't hide anything from me. So just say it, just get it, get it out. I am. I've been a part of Weight Watchers a couple of times. And you know what my favorite thing about Weight Watchers is? It's not Weight Weight Watchers Online. It's going to those meetings. I have met some really fascinating people at the Weight Watchers. Matter of fact, the the leader of the last Weight Watchers group I was a part of, the the young man, I say young, he was in his 30s, he had lost over 100 pounds. And I remember after about the fifth meeting, I said, you're more vulnerable than almost all pastors I know. He would start off by saying, listen, here's 10 things I did wrong at the beginning. Matter of fact, I had a rough week three weeks ago. But but I'm sitting here looking at him. Of, well, you've done something right because you've lost 100 pounds. Yeah. And basically what he would teach us was it's a daily, it's a daily opportunity that you can just choose the posture of, hey, I'm not along. I do need help. And I, I haven't conquered this thing yet. But, but a lot of charismatics, here's what happened, Brian. I just got to have that one moment with God. If I can have that one moment, if I can have that one encounter, everything's going to be okay. 
you need hundreds of thousands of tiny encounters. Yep. And the truth is, I'm watching Gus's transformation right before my very eyes be very slow, be very methodical. But perhaps the key to your breakthrough out of orphanhood is a, a steady diet of who you are in Christ, tiny moments, tiny atomic habits. And maybe all those tiny moments will add up into a big breakthrough. I bless you in the name of Jesus that you would know that your journey from orphanhood to sonship quite possibly could come through the boring. Maybe boring will bring your breakthrough. God bless. Thanks for joining us on Coach and Joe, a YouTube talk show and podcast that helps you walk in genuine friendship with God. Check out coachandjoe.com for epic merch, weekly blogs, and ways to help keep us up and running. We'll see you next time on Coach and Joe.